0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Tanakhstudy.com. This is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and today we will be beginning the final Parsha of Sefer Bimidbar, Parshat Masseh. Parshat Masseh itself is about three chapters or so 33, verse 1 through 36, verse 13 and effectively contains the record of the journeys through the wilderness, the preparations for possessing the new land, including a directive to drive out the inhabitants, the delineation of the borders, and the designation of the tribal leaders who will distribute the land. And the parsha concludes with the Levitical cities and the cities of refuge, and finally the marriage of the daughters of Tselofchad, within their own tribe of Minasheh, in order to safeguard the tribal territory. Today we will begin with the first part of Parshat Mas'eh, chapter 33, verse 1 through verse 56. And this part of the Parsha can be broken down into two larger sections. The bigger one is verses 1 through 50, the Massaot. Or the journeys It is the record of the journeys of the Jewish people from the time they left the land of Egypt in the Exodus, until they arrive 40 years later, at Arvot Moav, at the plains of Mo'ab. Mostly, this record of journeys includes place names. Occasionally, more information is provided, but it is not immediately clear why that is the case only in certain situations. The second unit of our reading today, immediately after the Masaot, is the Azhara, the warning that God communicates to the people of Israel to drive out the Canaanites when they enter the land and to destroy their idolatry or else to suffer the consequences. We'll begin with the first section, the Masaot, By way of introduction, the Torah records 42 place names in total. Some of these are known to us from Sefer Shemot and from Sefer Bemidbar. but approximately half of all of the place names mentioned in the list of the Masaot are not mentioned anywhere else in the Torah. For some of these locations, a brief memory associated with a place is recounted. Sometimes this is a reference to a journey that happens. Sometimes it's a reference to an abundance of water or a lack of water. Sometimes it's an individual associated with a place such as Aharon's death at Hor-Hahar or the king of Arad. But it is not immediately clear why some place names have this additional material and most do not at all. Rashi very helpfully points out that 14 out of the 42 Masa'ot are recorded in the Torah in Sefer Shemot and in Sefer Bimidbar as having taken place during the first year after the Exodus until the people arrived at Chhatseirot. Recall that in Parshat Shlach, the, Ch- the Miraglim were sent, the spies were sent from Chatserot. Rashi further indicates that eight out of the 42 are known to us from the last year of the people's journeys, as they left Hor-Hahar, where Aharon died in the 40th year, and they arrived at the plains of Moab, at Arvot Moav. At the very end of Parshat Chukat. In other words, according to Rashi's calculation, out of 42 places mentioned in the list, 14 were associated with the first year of wanderings and 8 with the last year of wanderings, which means 22 or roughly half were associated with either the first or the last year of the wilderness wanderings which means, of course, that the 38 intervening years only involved approximately 20 masa'ot, or 20 journeys. Rashi therefore concludes, Do not think that the people of Israel were constantly on the move, were constantly called upon to journey from place to place all those 40 years and had no rest at all. That is simply not the case. The vast majority of the wilderness experience, thirty-eight years of it, only take only took place at twenty different locations, which is roughly on average, not that it worked out this way, but roughly on average, something like two, uh, something like something like one every two years. And Farashi, therefore, he understands that the reason why the Torah records The 42 journeys is actually to indicate God's compassion. From here we derive that the people of Israel, in spite of the fact that they were condemned to perish in the wilderness after the sin of the spies, in fact, their journeys through the wilderness were not terribly onerous, and most of the time they actually remained in the same locations. This is Rashi's explanation as to why it's important for the Torah to record these names at all. The Rambam, on the other hand, understands that the naming of the Masaot is a conscious attempt on the Torah's part to preserve the memory of the wilderness. The wilderness was a place characterized by no human habitation, often a difficult and challenging environment characterized by heat and a lack of water And miraculously, says the Rambam, the people survived. They survived because God provided them with the manna. They survived because God provided them with water. They survived because God preserved them from harm. And effectively, says the Rambam, as time passes and events are are forgotten, people might come to believe that in fact, the people of Israel's existence in the wilderness was not miraculous at all. Therefore, the Torah reminds us and bids us to remember forever that in fact it is not possible to survive for 40 years in an environment such as the Midbar without divine intervention. Or as the Rambam puts it, all of these things were in fact miraculous to survive in a wilderness without agriculture, without food, without water. The coming generation, says the Rambam, must remember these miracles, how the people of Israel managed to survive for 40 years. And in so doing, of course, we recall the miraculous intervention of God. So whereas Rashi stresses the idea of compassion, the Rambam stresses the more theological aspect of it, which is the fact that God was able to perform miracles for the people of Israel in order to guarantee their survival. For both of these commentaries, Rashi and Rambam, the purpose of mentioning the Masaot is to teach us something or remind us something about God and God's involvement in the history of the Jewish people. Desforno, however, offers a different tack. As he puts it, God Israel," God wanted that the journeys of the people of Israel should be recorded, Lohodia zikutam, in order to make known the great merit of the Jewish people, belchtam acharav Bimidbar be'eretz lo zirua, for following after him into the wilderness in a land which was not sown, be'ofen shahayu such that the merits that they accrued would stand them in good stead, so that they might enter the land. The Sforno therefore understands that the purpose of recording the journeys is not so much to teach us something about God and His involvement, but actually to teach us something about the people of Israel and their loyalty, the people of Israel and their attachment to God, their willingness to follow God into the wilderness based on a quote in Jeremiah, Ko amar Hashem zacharti I remember the compassion of your youth, lechtech acharai bamidbar lo ziruah, to follow me into the wilderness, to leave the land of Egypt into a land not sown. So for this Sforno, we recall the Masaot in order to appreciate the great faith that the people of Israel had in God, in spite of all of the setbacks and the failures and the complaints along the way. Nevertheless, they had a great faith and a great trust in God. And this, in fact, says the Sforno, is what gives them the merit to enter the land. So effectively, the Sforno is connecting the first part of the Parsha with what will follow, which will be practical preparations for entering the, entering the land, as if to say, if you want to understand why it is that the people of Israel are now ready to enter the land, why the people of Israel have the merit to enter the land, ah El Israel, these are the journeys, these are the stations, these are the adventures, and these are the memories of the trust and the faith that the people had when they followed God into the wilderness. Bear in mind, of course, that, as I said, of the 42 places mentioned, approximately half of them are found elsewhere in the Torah, in the stories of the wilderness, some of these in Sefer Shmot after the Exodus, most of them in Sefer B'midbar, and, of course, only one of them, Mount Sinai, in Sefer Vayikra, Because in Sefer Vayikra, effectively, the people are located in one place for the duration. They don't journey from Mount Sinai until Parashat Alotha in Sefer Bimidbar. One last comment by the Ramban. The Ramban is acutely aware of what the Rambam and Rashi have said. He's not aware of what Sforno will say because Sforno, of course, lives later than him. The Ramban says in any case michtav hamasa'ot mitzvat Hashemhi." it is a mitzvah that God gives to Moshe to write down the masa'ot not one of the 613 mitzvot mind you but it is a command and when the text says Moshe et haShem Moshe wrote down they're going forth their journeys al pi Hashem by the word of God, Ramban understands vayich Moshe, Moshe wrote it down at the word of God, which is to say God commanded him to do so. For the Ramban, being a mystic of course, there might be a more mystical reason why these 42 names, why these 42 place names occur, and he is content to leave that possibility open, as he puts it. In yan, lo nitkale lanusodo, We may not know the full reason why God commands Moshe to write these 42 things down, but nevertheless, Moshe does so because that was God's will. We will now begin reading through the Masaot. I'm going to break it up as a function of the location or the story associated with the particular Masaot, with the particular journey, the particular stations. We begin with chapter 33, verse number 1. These are the journeys of the people of Israel who left the land of Egypt by their multitudes. Yad Moshe by the hand of Moshe Naharon. V'yikhtov Moshe et motza eihem, lemas Ahem al pi Adonai. V'ele mas eihem, lemotsa Moshe wrote down their going forth, their journeys by the Word of God, and these are their journeys in accordance with their going forth. Motza eihem, going, going, going forth, comes from the root meaning to go out, yatsa. Some commentaries understand the word to mean not their goings forth, but their adventures or things that happen to them along the way. Vayikhtov Moshe et motza'ihem, Moshe wrote down all the things that happened to them along the way of their journeys by the word of God. Pasuk Gimel, verse number 3 through verse 5 is our first unit. It is, the, it is the place names associated with the exodus from Egypt. They journeyed from Ramesses in the first month, on the, first, on the 15th day of the first month, on the morrow of offering the Passover sacrifice, the people of Israel left Egypt with hand held high in the eyes of all the Egyptians. Byad rama of course, means proudly, fearlessly, courageously. Perhaps it even means armed. The people of Israel left the land of Egypt. And, of course, this is a quote from Sefer Shmot, the story of the Exodus in chapter 13, chapter 14, Chapter fifteen, Shiratayam, all of that associated with this particular moment. Pasuk dalit Mekabrim Adunai Behem Uvelo Hehem Asa Adunai Shifatim. The people of Egypt were burying all those firstborn which God had struck down in their midst, and as for their gods, God wrought sentence upon them. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses and they encamped at Sukkot. And this is effectively the first stop associated with the Exodus from Egypt. Once again, it is mentioned in Sefer Shemot. And this, as it were, although the Torah doesn't actually insert any sort of a break, one might say that location-wise or story-wise, this is a good moment to pause because everything up until now has been associated with the exodus. Now we go on. They journeyed from Sukkot and they encamped at Etam, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They journeyed from Etam and they camped at Pihachirot, which is against, in front of Baal Tzifon, and they encamped before Migdol. They journeyed from Eitam, and they and they encamped before Migdol. They journeyed from Pnei HaChirot, from the face of Chirot, and they passed through the sea into the wilderness. They went for three days in the wilderness of Etam, and they encamped at Mara. This second section, verses 6 through 8, effectively describes the locations associated with the splitting of the sea and the entry into the wilderness. So, Basically, what we have in these first two groups of Masaot, those places associated with the exodus from Egypt, those places associated with the events of the splitting of the sea, and of course, all of this material known to us, and these place names as well, from the account in Sefer Shmot. We go on to verse number 9. They journeyed from Mara, and they arrived at Elim, and in Elim were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they encamped there. And of course, this is recounted once again in Sefer Shmot in the immediate aftermath of crossing Yam the people entered the midbar and they came to this location as recorded in Shemot chapter 15, and there they encamped. So, none of this is, of course, new material. It's curious that the Torah, on the one hand, points out the detail of the springs of water at Etam and the 70 date palms as if that holds special significance but doesn't associate anything special with the crossing of Yamsuf, which is, of course, a transcendent moment in the story. Next pasuk. uh, Verse number 10. They journeyed from Elim, and they encamped at Yamsuf. This encampment at Yamsuf after the events of crossing the sea is not recorded in Sefer Shemot. Vayisumi Yamsuf, vayachanu they journeyed from Yamsuf, and they encamped in Midbar Sin, they journeyed from Midbar Sin, they encamped at Dofka, they journeyed from Dofka, they encamped at Alush, they journeyed from Alush, they encamped at Rifidim, Velohaya La'am the end of verse 14, there was no water there for the people to drink. And of course, this event is also noted in Sefer Shmut arriving at Riffidim and not having water to drink, the people crying out to Moshe, and all of this recorded in chapter 17 of Sefer shmut Of course, what happens afterwards in the Sefer shmut version is the attack of Amalek, but that detail is left out of our list. We continue with Pasuk Tedvav, vav, me Refidim, Vayachanu b'midbar Sinai, they journeyed from Refidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai. I would like to suggest that this is the third section of Masaot. If the first one was about the Exodus, and the second one was about place names associated with crossing the Sea of Reeds, This third section, verses 9 through 15, is about the journey to Mount Sinai and the receiving of the Torah. So here it's referred to as Midbar Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai. And of course, the wilderness of Sinai contains Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. Nevertheless, in this particular list, the Torah glosses over entirely without a mention the events associated with Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah, and we pick up the journey now in verse number 16. Vayisu mimidbar Sinai, vayachanu They journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped at the graves of ta'ava. The graves of ta'ava is associated with an episode in Parshat b'ha'alotcha, as the people begin their journey away from Mount Sinai and towards the land, they cry out and they desire meat, Lehitavot, they desire meat, and as a result of that, there is a plague which breaks out and many are struck down. So note the following. Basically, what happened between verse 15 and verse 16, i.e. the encampment at Mount Sinai, and the encampment at Kivrota HaTa'ava is that the entire story of the giving of the Torah and the account, the narratives associated with the people being at Mount Sinai, which, by the way, constitutes all of Sefer Vayikra, the beginning of Bimidbar, Parshat Naso, until, really, chapter 10 of Sefer Bimidbar, all of that is contained in half a verse. They encamped at Mount Sinai. Sorry, they encamped at the wilderness of Sinai. So really what I'm saying is, the end of chapter 16 is Sefer Shmot, Sefer Vayikra, and now we're actually moving on to Sefer Bimidbar. Verse number 17. Vayisu mikirota taAva. Vayachanu b'chatzerot. They journeyed from Kivrot Ava and encamped at Chatzerot, and they journeyed from Chatzerot and they encamped at Ritma. I would say this itself constitutes a block of locations. It's associated with the great failure of the sending of the spies. So effectively, we are moving away from Parshat Baha in the Book of Numbers to embrace Parshat Shelach, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, all of that associated with the area of Chatzirot in verse number 18. Verse number 19 continues, They journeyed from Ritma, and they encamped at Rimon Paretz. They journeyed from Rimon Paretz, they encamped at Livna, they journeyed from Livna, they encamped at Risa. They journeyed from Risa, they encamped at, Ph- at Kehilata. They journeyed from Kehilata, they encamped at Mount Shafer. They journeyed from Mount Shafar, they encamped at Harada. They journeyed from Harada, they encamped at Makelot. They journeyed from Makelot, they encamped at Tachat. They, they journeyed from Tachat and encamped at Tarach. They journeyed from Tarach and encamped at Mitka. They journeyed from Mitka and encamped at Hashmona. They journeyed from Hashmonah and encamped at Moserot. They journeyed from Moserot and encamped at Bnei Akan. They journeyed from Bnei Akan and encamped at Chor Hagidgad. They journeyed from Chor Hagidgad and encamped at Yodvata. They journeyed from Yodvata and encamped at Avrona. They journeyed from Avrona and encamped at Etzion Gaver. Verse number 36. Va Yisu me Gaver. They journeyed from Etzion Gaver, and they encamped at the wilderness of Tzin, which is Kadesh. This largest section of the Masaot that we just read through, basically verses 19 through 36, is the story in a nutshell of the wilderness wanderings after the people sent forth the spies from Hatserot back in verse number 18, and the spies returned with a negative report and the people of Israel lost their resolve and God condemned them to perish in the wilderness. They did perish in the wilderness over the course of 38 years and the stations of their encampments during that period of 38 years is effectively what we have in verses 19 through 36. I should point out that the place names in this particular section, almost without exception, are not known to us from the narratives in Sefer Bimidbar. So if I mentioned earlier that roughly half of the encampments in the list are not known to us from other parts of the Torah, these are the half that I'm talking about. Basically, the entire wilderness wanderings in the aftermath of the sin of the spies is passed over in silence in the other parshiot of the Torah. We have the story of the spies in Parshat Shlach, chapters 13 and 14 and 15 of Sefer Bimidbar. We have the rebellion of Korach in 16, 17 and 18. We have the red heifer in 19, Parshat Chukat. And chapter 20, the people are stationed at Midbar Tzin Hi Kadesh, which is exactly what's mentioned in verse 36. The concluding Masaot Verses 37 through 49 are the journeys associated with the 40th year of the wanderings as the people prepare to leave the wilderness. Verse number 37 begins the section. They journeyed from Kadesh. And they encamped at Mount Hor on the edge of Edomite territory, the lands of the Edomites. 38. Vaya'alaharon hakohen elhor hahar alpia dunai vaya mocham. Bishnat ha arbaim letset benay Israel me eretz mitraim. Bachodes hachamishi be echad lachodesh. Aharon the priest ascended Mount Hor by the word of God and there he died in the 40th year after the people of Israel had left the land of Egypt in the fifth month on the first day of the month ben Shalosh Ve Bimoto Aharon was 123 years old when he died at Mount Hor. So this, of course, is an event which is recorded in the Torah. In Parshat Pukat, we have the account of Aharon's death. But strikingly, when the Torah tells us about Aharon's death, it doesn't actually mention the date that he dies. And it's only here that the date is mentioned. In chapter 20 of Sefer Bar, where Aharon actually dies, there is no mention of it having taken place on the first day of the fifth month, which we would call today Rosh Chodesh Av. So once again, a detail provided. On the one hand, recalling earlier events. On the other hand, something that we haven't heard of before. And perhaps again, we're left sort of wondering... Why some things are indicated and others are not. I will t- I will return to that point momentarily. First we'll wrap up the section, verse number 40. The Canaanite king of Arad, who dwelt in the Negev in the land of Kna'an, heard of the arrival of the people of Israel. They are making their way towards the land. They journeyed from Hohahar, from Mount Hor, and they encamped at Salmona, They journeyed from Salmonah, they encamped at Punon, they journeyed from Punon, and they encamped at Ovot. They journeyed from Ovot and encamped at Iyei HaAvarim, on the border of Moab. These particular place names are known to us in Parashat Chukat as the people make their way towards the land and encamp on the border with Moav. They journeyed from Iyeim and they encamped at divongad They journeyed from Divon and encamped at Almon Divlatayma. They journeyed from Almon Divlatayma and they encamped at the Mount of Avarim before Niveau. They journeyed from the Mountain of Avarim and they encamped at the Plains of Moab next to the Jordan across from, the Jer- across from Jericho. Verse number 49. They encamped on the Jordan. From Bet Hayishimot until Avil Hashitim in the plains of Moav. So effectively, this last section, verse 37 through verse 39, it is is a description of the Mas'ot, the journeys of the final year until the people reach the plains of Moav. If we do the math, we discover the following. The main section associated with the journeys is actually the Masa'ot, the journeys that occur through the wilderness over the course of 38 years, verses 19 through 36. That is the main section of this particular part of the Parsha. The first section again started with the Exodus, the crossing of Yamsuf, the journey towards Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, to Seirot, the sending of the spies, all of that stuff familiar to us from other places in the Torah. The final journeys from Midbar Tzin until the Plains of Moab, also familiar to us from Sefer B'midbar. The middle section, the Masaot through the wilderness, containing half of the place names, and we hear nothing of this journey or these place names anywhere else in the Torah. It seems as if we may have a kaiastic structure at work here in which we speak about journeys beforehand and we speak about journeys afterwards. But the main journey that we're actually highlighting in the section is the one that the Torah tells us nothing about anywhere else. And that's the journey through the Midbar, the most difficult part, the 38 years during which the people of Israel were condemned to perish and effectively made their way from place to place, knowing full well that they would never be able to enter the land. All of a sudden, the Siforno's comments are cast in high relief, where he speaks about the faith of the Jewish people and how these journeys are about indicating that faith and that merit, and we suddenly appreciate how that is, how that is the case when we understand how the masot through the wilderness take up the main part of the section. I should point out that in some communities, not all, there is a custom for the Baal Koray to read some of this material according to a shira tune, a tune reserved for biblical song. I'll just demonstrate that a little bit to give you an indication. This is how it's done in some communities in Ashkenaz, although every community has its custom. I'm beginning with verse number 10. Va Jesus me elim va ya al Yamsuf suf va Jesus mi amsu faya be mid barsin va Jesus mi mid barsin va ya khanu be dofka va Jesus alush and of course it's a striking custom to be singing the journeys through the wilderness to the Song of Shirah, but that does imply that there is something terribly significant, something terribly important, and perhaps even celebratory in this list, because effectively what we have summarized here is 40 years of the people of Israel's experience. Some of that was triumph and success, much of it was setback and failure, all of it lived in the shadow of the Divine Presence, leaving the land of Egypt with sights set on the land, never quite getting there, but never giving up on the dream of getting there. That effectively is the masa'ot at the beginning of our parsha. And embedded in this discussion, of course, might be the explanation as to why the Torah points out certain details with certain locations, but otherwise remains silent. Because effectively, the very first massa that we hear about is from Ramesses in verse number 3, and there we have a date, the first month, the 15th day, the day of the Exodus. When we have another date reported, as I pointed out, It's in verse number 38, the death of Aharon in the fifth month on the first day of the month. That effectively is the framing technique. The exodus is the beginning of the story. Forty years later is the end of the story, the death of Aharon. What is the story that we're talking about? The story of the wilderness wanderings. Beyond the death of Aharon, the march towards the land will begin in earnest. So effectively, the Torah employs a very deliberate technique, the indication of a specific date, in order to highlight the fact that we are trying to suggest that within the period of time from the Exodus to the death of Aharon, that is the essence of the wilderness story. That is the essence of the Midbar. And beyond that, the people will begin their journey towards the land and embark on a new chapter. For this reason, since we're trying to emphasize the wilderness wanderings as the major feature of the account, the Torah downplays some of the other major events. There are no details about Kriyat Yamsuf. There are no details about receiving the Torah. All of that is muted. Because what the Torah is highlighting here is the theme of the journey through the Midbar. Because that journey is that which transforms the people of Israel from a slave nation into a nation prepared and ready to conquer the land. And this now introduces our next section. Verse number 50. God spoke to Moshe at the plains of Moab on the Jordan next to Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, You are going to pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan.'" Verse number 52. You will drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you and you will destroy all of their temples and all of the images, molten images you shall destroy and all of their high places you shall destroy. Maskiotam comes from the root maskit, and that, the root of that word is sacha, which is to cover. So maskiotam, temples that have a stone covered floor. Basically, the people of Israel are warned in this section to not only drive out the inhabitants of Canaan, but to destroy any idolatry that they leave behind. Verse 53. You shall possess the land and dwell in it, because I have given you this land in order to inherit it. I should point out that this is the source for the Ramban's incredibly important ruling that one of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah is the mitzvah to dwell in the land of Israel. As he puts it, that the people of Israel should dwell in the land and should possess it. They should not reject that which God has given them. They should not be involved with conquering other territory. But this is a mitzvah forever, says the Ramban on all Jewish people to live in the land of Israel. His larger discussion on this topic is in his critical glosses to Rambam's Sefer HaMitzvot, Rambam's uh, Book of Commandments, and um, the Ramban notes that the Rambam never explicitly includes a commandment to live in the land of Israel is one of the six hundred and thirteen, and the Ramban vociferously disagrees, based on this particular verse that you shall possess the land and dwell in it. Says the Ramban, se. verse fifty-four. <laughs> You shall distribute the land by lot according to your families. The many shall receive more of a possession. The few shall receive less of a possession. Whatever the lottery shall determine, that is where... The possession shall be by your tribes, by the tribes of your fathers, you shall possess the land. This is nothing new. We've heard this already. The land will be distributed by lottery. Those that are more numerous receive more. Those that are fewer receive less. Verses 55 and 56, the end of the section, sound a cautionary note. V'imlot torishu, But if you do not dispossess the inhabitants of the land from before you, those that you shall leave shall be thorns in your eyes and thistles in your sides. They shall besiege you and trouble you on the land in which you dwell. Verse 56, That which I thought of doing to them, I will do to you instead, says God, which is to say, you will be exiled and not them. So this is a cautionary note, as I said, with the people now poised to enter the land, as the Ramban has it at least, a command to possess it, and a warning to, to drive out the Canaanites, and to destroy their idolatry. And by the way, I should point out that the war against the Canaanites was never a national war or a racial war. It was a cultural war of values, monotheism versus idolatry. If idolatry is permitted to remain, then the people of Israel will be led astray. It's that simple. And God says, it's almost an intimation, though we don't want to believe it at this point, that in fact this will come to pass. So a cautionary note, at this point, we have just completed the massive story of the Masa'ot, what a long and arduous journey it was, 40 years from the Exodus to the gates of the land, now is the time to enter it, says God. When you get there, be careful. Follow the Torah and you will be successful.